We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you'd take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay you when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet this football season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you can bet on games after kickoff? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, Try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings, and no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now, and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code BLUEWIRE to activate the offer. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. The Timeline is a Blue Wire podcast. This week, our guest is none other than Tsunami Poppy himself, Kelly Oubre Jr. Kelly, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thanks for having us, man. By the way, that's the official Valley Boy sign right here. Is this? Yes, it okay. is. Okay. Like this? Am you I doing this beat. right? You see the beat. Okay. You get it. Oh, yeah, yeah. dropping some knowledge already off the top. I love it. Yeah. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns Podcast. I'm back after what felt like a month, but really it was just a week <laughs> off of podcasts and still some things happened that we're going to talk about here. Of course, coming up, I'm very excited for you guys to hear an awesome interview with Lindsay Smith. She was really great to come on, told us some really cool stories. I think you guys will really enjoy it. Um, but first, Sam and I are going to talk. So of course, I'm Mike. I'm back. Sam's with me. Sam, how are you doing? Good. It it feels super long when we go a week without talking to each other. So yeah, it's it's. I missed you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, 
it, <laughs> it is. I think we've only taken maybe three three weeks off total in over a year, so it is rare for us to take a break. So I appreciate everyone uh, for sticking with us through that break, and we'll still cover the things that we missed in the meantime. Of course, when I leave, our new our new point guard goes and wins an MVP for the World Cup. That I think that was the biggest thing that happened uh, in the last two weeks. Ricky Rubio won the MVP for the World Cup, and Spain beat Argentina in the final game and won the World Cup. Did you see that, or did you at least see some highlights of that game, Sam? I saw that game. Uh, I will not lie to you folks. I did not watch every single game of Ricky Rubio and Aaron Baines combined at the World Cup. It's pretty hard. Like, let's be honest with ourselves. You know, raise your hand if you did actually watch all those games. And if you did, pat on the back. I watched the games that I did have time for. And uh, we talked about it with Baines Fan Club uh, a couple of weeks ago. And obviously that was at the beginning of the tournament. But now that we're at the end of the tournament, we can definitively say that both of our guys kicked ass. Yeah. Uh, in China. So, I mean, that's really good. Baines uh, is working through a little bit of an injury right now, but I guess maybe it's a good thing Devin Booker didn't go. Yeah, I think it's an interesting point where, you know, how, we have to actually talk about how much do you think it matters that someone succeeds in the World Cup in these FIBA games? Does that actually translate to the NBA? Obviously, anyone who, people who criticize Devin Booker, I think are in an interesting place right now where they're sort of juggling, saying that, Playing in these games really matters, but also in a, in a sense trying to discredit people who succeeded like Ricky Rubio or even Luis Scola who played really well. Does it matter or does it not matter? Does it translate to the NBA or does it not? Or, you know, it's, it's a weird scenario for this. I think with Ricky Rubio particularly, I think it matters from a confidence standpoint. I mean, winning the MVP of the overall tournament where there were NBA players spread across a bunch of teams. I think that matters. I think that for confidence, at the very least, it will matter going forward. I'm not saying that, you know, that 38% from three-point line is going to translate directly into the NBA, but I think (laughs) there is an element of succeeding will push you forward and make you a more confident player going forward. So I think that part matters, but I'm just not sure how much the rest of it matters. What do you think? I don't think it matters a ton, but I basically agree with you. I think, if anything, it gives us a better idea of what these guys are going to look like because both of them were new to us as Suns fans. Obviously, I've watched Ricky Rubio for years and years, but you get to see a little bit more of his uh, mannerisms in person. And and one of those things is streakiness uh, that I think we're going to get a lot on the Suns this year. He had a great tournament overall, but his um, shooting was streaky. You know, he, in that game versus Australia, shot six for 19. He shot one for eight from deep, but he shot 39% on three overall for the entire tournament. And you know, I think that's just something that is going to possibly characterize his season with the Suns as well. He might come in, he'll be a streaky shooter, um, but I think he'll be able to make it up with all of the other intangibles as part of his game. For Aaron Baines, uh, it's just good to see his shot going in. Like, you know, if there's anything that's going to translate from FIBA play to NBA play, there's no reason to believe that his shot wouldn't translate. I don't think he's going to shoot 50% from outside like he did in FIBA, but it was good to see him confidently taking a few threes per game as part of that offense. It signals to me that he's going to continue to space the floor with Monty Williams as our coach, as long as Monty allows him to do it, which he has no reason not to do. Yeah, I was really impressed with Aaron Baines in general. I think watching him set screens is like a work of art. I mean, it's it's unlike anything we've really seen on the Suns in a while, and I think that's the type of thing that DeAndre Ayton can really learn from Aaron Baines. But I think with Ricky Rubio, 
uh, particularly what impressed me, I think, the most watching him is just the decision making in general. He's capable of making decisions very quickly. And it's almost like with, with Ricky Rubio. And I know that people tend to focus on his shooting. That's 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 a storyline, uh, particularly with him, because he shot like 20 percent from three the last time he was in the playoffs with the Utah Jazz. So I think that's going to be a storyline about Ricky Rubio going forward. Can he shoot when the games matter? And that's a fair thing to ask because of how he performed previously. But it's almost a weird thing where sometimes him shooting is the worst decision he can make, but he is left open. And I think beyond that, his ability to find guys cross-court passes, dropping off passes underneath the basket, finding shooters, those are the types of things that I think are going to benefit the Suns. Obviously, everything that we talked about, but to really see it benefit a team like Spain, it mattered. You you saw a lot of these games where Ricky Rubio would start the game and Spain would basically handle whoever they were playing because they have so much chemistry and the players, a lot of the players are are, are veterans, if you will, in these FIBA games. And Ricky would leave the court and that's when the other team would start making headway on the Spanish team and then he would come back and and steady the offense down and I think that's the type of thing that he's going to bring to the Suns more than anything else and I think it was really telling to see it with the Spanish team because they know him they know how he plays and he knows them and he knows how they play so you could see that chemistry you could see him really stirring that pot and controlling the game and I think that's what stuck with me more than anything else with Ricky Rubio. Uh, yeah, I I totally agree. It's going to be a steadying presence for our offense, and then you throw in the combination of Tyler Johnson and overall and Ty Jerome, I guess you could say as well. And hopefully, you've got forty eight minutes of rock solid point guard play. I hate to beat a dead horse, real quick, but you know, as long as we're talking about buying or selling, did you see the tournament that Bogdan Bogdanovic had for Serbia? Because he was maybe the best NBA player of the whole. In fact, I think he was the best NBA player representing at the tournament. Yeah, I I think I agree with that. And yes, I did see it. And I'm still traumatized by it because I still can't believe that it happened. Because you, even if you were the highest that you could be on Bogdan Bogdanovich, I don't think you could predict this kind of play from him. His creation, his shot creation for himself was not something that I ever expected and because he was drafted to the Suns and he was still playing professionally at that time I tried to catch as many games as possible so I've seen him play a lot and then I tried to watch him as much as I could last year with the Kings but his improvement right now if he can do anything like this in the NBA going forward he's going to be a beast he basically looked like James Harden out there. It was impossible, <laughs> impossible to guard him. He was finding guys open. He's he's always been clutch. This is something that he does have. He hits clutch shots regularly, and so he that's not none, none of that was a surprise. But, but everything you're not else allowed to you're not allowed to compare him to a black player though. He looks like <laughs> Drazen Petrovic out there. He looks Therefore like Peja Stojakovic. <laughs> he, you know, he did, not James Harden though. Yeah, but I, I mean, agree. He, he had a he had a huge tournament, and uh, yeah, it's a shame. I, I remember following him intensely when he played for Fenerbahce uh, when the Suns had his rights before they had traded him away, and he was kind of just he was still a young guy in that offense. He wasn't even the best player on that team, and he was playing this off ball role. And now you know you could argue he's a little bit older. He's not like a typical NBA prospect. He's either 26 or 27 years old. I don't remember off the top of my head, um, but he's just ascended into this combo guard scorer who can really handle the ball. And, and he's just a really talented kid. And it sucks that we uh, blew that opportunity to watch him play over Marquise Chris. But again, that is beating a dead horse. Yeah. And I don't think that a lot of people were 
overly against that at the time. I remember, you know, being sad about losing a chance to watch Bogdan Bogdanovich. I think there was like the photo of him. There's this famous photo of him wearing the Suns hat, just smiling this massive smile when he was 18 years old after being drafted by the Suns. And that became somewhat of a meme on the Suns Reddit. And everything, everyone I think was excited to see what he could bring to the team after playing professionally for a while. And, uh, you know, that I think was the only reason people were sad about it at the time, because I don't think they could have predicted the type of player that he's becoming. So we'll see if that translates. And just like anything else, something I was thinking about, and I know I'm getting off topic here, but I just I find it interesting how people talk about how important it is for these American players to play with their teams and how much better it makes these American players. Why don't why don't people ever talk about the fact that it could also benefit these players from Europe. They, they're they also people playing with the other professionals and there's things to learn and there's coaches to learn from. Is it because it's not Greg Popovich and Steve Kerr? I, I don't really mm. understand why that doesn't really translate to, to people playing for other teams. I think it's just the players aren't as relevant. Like people aren't particularly interested in the development of Bogdan Bogdanovich, if we're being completely honest with ourselves. Uh, yeah, but in this you case, know, the, I feel the, like they are. You know, the, like the Team well, USA the big, wasn't that relevant. The, Yes and no. The big storyline with Team USA, I think, and and we're just going to pile on about this probably, but it was Boston. You know, it, the Celtics were Team USA, uh, and so at them plus Donovan Mitchell, and so it was pretty easy to like pile on and talk about Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart. And there are a million different media members in the U.S. covering those guys. There aren't as many guys covering the Kings who would be interested in Bogdan in the first place, or who are even interested in much better players in Bogdan, like Giannis playing for Greece. Not that he really needs the development, uh, or Jokic for Serbia. So, uh, so I don't know. I mean, I think there's a variety of reasons there. It could also be having to do with uh, Coach Pop and and Kerr. Well, I think the main thing is everyone's going to forget about it like two weeks into the season. I don't think it's going to be a storyline the way that like the Olympics are or even in 2010 when Kevin Durant dominated at the FIBA games. I just don't think anything like that is going to hold out into the season and we'll see. And and if it does really affect these guys, I hope Rubio and Baines are two of the guys that it does affect because (laughs) they were guys that played deep into the tournament and ended up facing each other and then... You know, that that game very well could have decided the tournament. I think Australia could have beaten Argentina as well. And I think, you know, one of those two guys was going to end up being a champion. So uh, it was Ricky Rubio, I think, which will be good for the Suns going forward just from a confidence perspective. Um, but some, something else I think that we should talk about that's happened that I think is really cool is, you know, a tragic thing happened in the Bahamas, and that was a hurricane, a Dorian, that just kind of decimated the Bahamas and luckily DeAndre Ayton has been updating Suns fans throughout it. He did tell us that his family and friends have all survived and everyone seems to be okay. But I think what's been cool about that is that the response from him and his family and the response from Suns fans has been really cool. DeAndre Ayton, of course, I'm sure everyone knows it's listening, but just to remind you, he immediately went into action. He donated his own money. He worked with the Suns organization to respond uh, to this and try and raise money as a team for people who were affected by that hurricane in the Bahamas. And I just think it's really cool that even for a young guy like DeAndre Ian, a number one overall pick who has that kind of pressure on him, he seemed poised throughout this. And I was really impressed with his ability to try and turn this into something positive for a community that was affected so negatively. So, you know, I just wanted to bring that up in some way on this podcast. Yeah, no, I I think it's important that you did. I think it shows a lot of character. 
uh, on his part and, and has consistently kind of been a defining characteristic of DeAndre Ayton when we talk about him that he co- entered the league for the Suns, obviously with lofty expectations as a number one overall pick, but from day one has been, you know, even if he's a bit goofy uh, as, as a guy off the court, which he certainly is, uh, has been an incredibly professional player in their locker room and, and I think a really good presence for the Suns. Um, so it's, it's good to see that he did that. I also want to give a shout out to Buddy Heald because Heald and Aiton are, as far as I know, the only two NBA players who are from the Bahamas. Both of them donated $100,000 each to relief efforts. Um, and then another shout out to, uh, this is from Gina Mizell, who said that the rookies, Cam Johnson, Ty Jerome, and Jalen LeCue were all in attendance at Aiton's fundraiser, um, to assist with donating, um, supplies. Yeah, it was really cool to see the picture of them all working together for that cause. And I think just to re- reflect on that, uh, Clay Thompson, I believe his family originated from the Bahamas. I don't think he was, he was yeah, obviously he born in LA. So Clay Thompson's connected and I think he's been really outspoken and I really like the things he's been saying. And I think it's nice to see NBA players from different teams just sort of come together and be leaders in this way, um, in a way that I think the NBA sort of allows them to. Uh, it's been nice to see that from our number one pick. And also I think credit to the Suns organization as well. And I know th- something that I've noticed is, and I don't want to be the guy Suns fan complaining about national media again, although it is my corner, so I guess <laughs> I should do it. But something I've noticed is when something like this happens, when the Suns go out of their way to raise money for people that were affected in a negative situation, it's not very covered. And let's say it's not an overly exciting story. I know it's not as exciting as a goat shitting in, in Ryan McDonough's office. Yes, that's a more provocative story. But I do find it interesting that sort of narratives tend to be uh, stuck to in uh, national media. And I understand why they do it, but it is kind of interesting how much coverage a goat shitting story will get compared to well, uh, a number one overall pick going out of his way to raise money from for a place where his family is from. No, you're totally right. This is one of those things I go back and forth on. It's the media's fault, but it's the consumer's fault as well. And, right. and it's just, right. you know, a, a media coverage that is dominated by what the consumers want. And the reality is that when we're talking not about Suns fans, but about a national audience, you want to talk about, because I, I can tell you're making, you know, a direct reference to ESPN shows like The Jump. Right. DeAndre Ayton donating $100,000 to the Bahamas is a quick, feel-good, 45-second Rachel Nichols reads off the teleprompter type of story, whereas goat shitting in... Uh, Ryan McDonough's office, uh, you know, prompts a greater five to 10 minute debate where everyone can sort of laugh at that and, and just people feed off of drama. So that's kind of the way it is. Now, I would say to people, you know, you don't have to be too concerned with what those national writers and, and analysts are saying all of the time. In fact, uh, the jump just did a segment yesterday where they were talking about and they caught a lot of flack just because I was thinking about this because it brought me out of my son's bubble for a second and through the perspective of another kind of small market team. They were talking about the Miami Heat and they were doing a story on Justice Winslow reportedly talking about how he was excited to play point guard for the Heat. And Rachel Nichols said, I don't know whether it was written for her or if she said it off the cuff, but um, a guy who has never played point guard a single game before in his career, <laughs> which is a gaffe, given right. that Winslow spent, especially with Goran Dragic missing time last season, he spent about a third of the Heat season 
starting for them at point guard. So, you know, it's sort of just like more evidence. They don't just not pay attention to the Suns. They don't pay attention to a lot of teams. And, you know, basically every fan base that is a mid to small market has this sort of complex with ESPN, has this sort of beef with ESPN and not just ESPN, but other media outlets like that. Yeah, and I think there's just there's narratives that they stick to, and I understand why. It's easier to process a story through that narrative filter than it is to come up with a new one every single time news breaks. But yeah, it is kind of that is a funny story. I didn't know that, especially with Justice Winslow, because that was the best stretch of his career. Basically, when he was playing point guard, it's the best he had played in the NBA. But I mean, we'll move on from that. But there is something related to that that I do want to talk about, and it's that we are already going to lose all three of us, me, you, and Max one of our over-unders for <laughs> Valley Boys merch, and we'll see, right? It still hasn't happened. But Kelly Oubre did state that there will be some Valley Boys merch sold at a pop-up in Phoenix, and the proceeds from that will go to DeAndre Ayton's charity and to people in the Bahamas. So shout-out to Kelly Oubre for that. For one, uh, providing stuff that Suns fans really want, and two, Using that as an opportunity to not enrich himself, but to enrich the lives of other people. And I, I really appreciate that he's doing that. Uh, I think that it's hard to, to look at that in any negative light. And I'm really excited to do that. So if that does happen and when that does happen, hopefully, I will be there, of course. I'll take a look at things that are happening. I'll try and take some pictures, show you guys who can't make it. Those of you who are in different states, those of you who are in different countries. I know that's like 30% of our audience. Um, shout out to you guys. Literally. Uh, yeah, um, I'll take some photos of that. You guys will feel like you're there through my eyes. So I'll definitely be there. Um, any thoughts on, on that, Sam? No, it's really cool. I'm not surprised at all that we all are fucking up on our over-unders already. <laughs> Let's, I hope that's not a theme for the entire competition because then uh, it's probably not going to be too great of a season. I, but we'll I, Honestly, I'm just, I'm just glad that all three of us got it wrong. wrong. Yeah, right? And it wasn't just Keep me. Keep it competitive. Speaking, speaking of Kelly Oubre, Look, I, I, well, this is not a gossip podcast. But oh, fuck. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> it was reported that Kelly Oubre was seen doing what they called a walk of shame out of Kendall Jenner's hotel room. I don't know what to think about this. I don't even, honestly, I don't even know that I have any thoughts on this other than nice. it seems like it could be a massive distraction for the team if any <sighs> sort of giant media Look, presence exists around it uh, because of the sort of weight that a Kardashian slash Jenner story comes with. If that giant weight of a Kardashian-esque story, you know, is what is defining the sun season, then, you know, we're going to have huge problems on the basketball court. Like that will define our coverage because the suns are yet again, a 20 to 25 win team. I'm just hoping that, you know, for the rest of us that actually care about the basketball discussion, that if the suns play well out of the gate, then we'll respond to that with positive media coverage about their actual play on the basketball court. And it won't really matter who's fucking who and we'll be able to ignore (laughs) it. I don't know. That's what I'm hoping for. Maybe they won't put that Kelly Uber is a sharp shooting shooting guard if the Suns actually were good enough for people to pay attention to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's Phoenix, not L.A. So, like, I like to think that we're a little more immune to this sort of stuff, but I could uh, be yeah. wrong. Well, I think until the arena is renovated, they're probably not stepping foot inside of it. <laughs> um, but the other, I think... <laughs> The other story I want to talk about, and we'll just move on from that because hopefully that's the last time we have to talk about it. Maybe they were just having a meeting about Kelly Oubre wanting to design clothes or something. Uh, 
The other thing that I want to talk about briefly is there were photos, and this is something I'm very, very, very excited. This is almost like a game for me, how excited I am about this. <laughs> there were photos of an episode of what's called The Boardroom, which is, for those who don't know, The Boardroom is a ESPN Plus show produced by Kevin Durant and his agent, manager. I think it, he's both of those things from what I can tell. Uh, where they basically, it's basically like the shop with LeBron, except it's in a boardroom. So it's taken a little bit more seriously. It's probably a little less, um, you know, off the cuff style. And the photos were of conversations between Kelly Oubre, Devin Booker, and my favorite player, PJ Tucker. So this is something that is probably coming to ESPN plus over the next few weeks. We haven't had from what I know. And if you've seen it and I haven't, we haven't had any information about when this is going to air, uh, what it's going to be about, but I have a feeling it's going to be about all of the weird Devin Booker storylines over the summer, because for the most part, he has not responded to them. And I think this type of direct player created content that exists because of guys like Kevin Durant and LeBron James is the perfect way for a guy like Devin Booker to respond to the weird criticism that has come come his way throughout this summer and including a guy like PJ Tucker who was uh, Devin for those who don't know Devin Booker was PJ Tucker's rookie this was this was someone that PJ Tucker was basically put in charge of when when Devin Booker joined the Suns to put a guy like PJ Tucker who has watched Devin Booker grow throughout the time that he's been in the NBA I think is really brilliant for that type of conversation. It's something that I'm like almost overly excited to see. I can't wait to see what this conversation is like. Maybe I'm building it up too big in my mind, but I'm super, super excited to see it. What do you, what do you think about that? I don't want you to be disappointed, um, but I agree. It has the potential to be really, really interesting. Um, I think PJ and KD have a relationship that goes back to Texas. Uh, they weren't teammates, but they both played at Texas in the late 2000s. And so I, I honestly don't know the extent of their relationship. I, I think PJ Tucker's a really easy guy to respect for the way that he plays for various players around the league. And so that probably explains that relationship between those two there as well. With Devin, um, I think KD can probably see a lot of himself in Devin Booker. And, you know, people forget it now, but KD came up with a really, really young at first Seattle and then Oklahoma City team that was not at all successful for the first couple of seasons. Uh, and I think now that Devin Booker is going into his fifth year, he needs to start to improve pretty quickly if he wants to continue along the same trajectory as a future Hall of Famer like Kevin Durant. But at the same time, you know, I think KD was one of the first guys to come out in support of Booker and say that guy's a killer uh, a few years ago when when Booker was, you know, averaging 22 points per game in a sophomore season. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a lot of potential for solid analysis there. I'm not sure exactly where Kelly Oubre factors into all of this uh, in terms of his relationship with the other guys, but hopefully they have some good discussion. Well, I think Kelly Oubre will bring something to that. That's for sure, because he's just an interesting dude who says interesting things, and uh, <laughs> that'll just make it a more interesting product, more interesting content. I will say, uh, from what I know about the boardroom, I haven't watched every episode. Kevin Durant has been in every episode up to this point, but he was not in those photos. So I do wonder if Kevin Durant will actually be there because that would be interesting. But if he's not, just those three guys along with Rich Kleiman, if he's there, is interesting enough by itself. So I'm looking forward to that. I can't wait to see it. But let's go ahead and switch over to Lindsay Smith now. Everyone's here to listen to that. She was really awesome. I think you guys will really enjoy it. We really appreciate her coming on. Um, we'll get to some ads right now, and then we'll get to the Lindsay Smith interview right after that. So stick around. 
There are countless ways to keep up on what's happening in the world of sports. But how are you supposed to read every great article? How are you supposed to watch every awesome highlight without losing time in your busy day? Scrolling through every app and visiting every website on a daily basis is impossible. Now coming to the stage, Axios Sports. Axios Sports is a modern sports page delivered directly to your email inbox. Each morning, you'll see the best stories from around the sports world, from the NBA and NFL to niche sports like cricket and ping pong. The email newsletter highlights the most important stats and trends, giving you the ability to stay informed. It's super simple to sign up. Sports.axios.com. Axios Sports is clean, crisp, and gives you everything you need to know. Read it in five minutes in the elevator or discover a deep dive article while you're on the train to work. Not only will you be caught up, you'll be the cool person sharing an amazing link with your friends and coworkers. Join the 100,000 sports fans who get caught up on the day before it even begins. And best of all, there's no paywall, no subscription fee, nothing. This is free curated sports content delivered directly to you. Do yourself and your time a favor. Sign up for the Axios Sports newsletter for free at sports.axios.com. Seriously, I subscribe to it and it makes me feel more informed without spending time clicking through websites, apps, and social media platforms. Again, try for free at sports.axios.com. Guys are terrible at taking care of their health. Whether it's a knee injury, bad back, or something worse, guys are usually more comfortable rubbing some dirt on it than seeing a doctor. The same is true for erectile dysfunction. Studies show that 70% of guys who experience ED don't get treated for it. Thankfully, Roman created an easy way to chat with a doctor online. With Roman, you can get medical care for ED, if appropriate, from the comfort and privacy of your own home. You can handle everything online in a convenient, discreet manner. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com slash bluewire and complete an online visit. If your doctor decides that treatment would be appropriate, they can prescribe genuine medication that can be delivered in discreet packaging right to your door with free two-day shipping. Guys, go talk to the doctor. Erectile dysfunction can be tough to tackle, but it's really important to get checked out. With Roman, it's easy to connect with the doctor. Just go. Roman.com slash BlueWire to get a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com slash BlueWire for a free visit to get started. GetRoman.com slash BlueWire. All right, we're very excited to welcome to the podcast, Lindsay Smith, who is the digital reporter and host of the Outlet Podcast for the Suns and the sideline reporter for the Suns. Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to chat for a little bit. Yeah, you get to be on the other side of the podcast this time. You're, you're, you're being interviewed instead of the host duties. I know. Sorry if I'm going to be really awkward. I'm not used to being on this side as much. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to start with a question that has been asked of every athlete that's being uh, interviewed now during the offseason. How has your offseason been going? It's been really good. Um, a little slow, but honestly, not that slow. So my job is kind of unique where I am actually in the office nine to five, Monday through Friday, and we have so much stuff still going on in the off season. You know, we've got the draft to cover and summer league and the schedule release and training camp and all that kind of stuff. So we do stay pretty busy. And I'm part of a department called the content team, and they create all the cool videos you see on social media and a lot of the cool stuff you see on the broadcast. But 
They also create a lot of stuff that nobody really sees that's for our partners or internal use. Um, and I'm kind of involved in a lot of that on the producing side of things. Um, so we stay pretty busy even during the off season, surprisingly. So you've been covering the Suns for a couple of years now, but you've kind of made your way all around Arizona sports at this point. I believe you worked for the Rattlers, the Cardinals, the Coyotes. Uh, part of the reason we wanted to bring you on is just to talk a little bit more about your background in sports reporting and kind of talk about how you got your start and uh, what that journey has been like for you. Yeah. So like you said, I've kind of worked for a lot of the different teams in the Arizona and Phoenix market. So I basically went to ASU for journalism and I got really lucky and got a really good internship with Cox Communications. Um, kind of a funny story. I changed my major when I was a junior to journalism. I was originally just like a business communications major because I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do. And when I realized that I could tell stories through journalism, that was like, that was it. That's what I want to do. Um, so I, since I was a junior, when I started that program, I was a little bit behind uh, all of my other classmates. So I couldn't get an internship to save my life because Everyone was like, oh, you're a junior. You should be this far in your growth or know this many things. And I'm like, I don't know anything, but I'm a hard worker. Please just give me an internship. <laughs> um, so basically, Cronkite hosts these internship fairs where they bring in a whole bunch of different companies around town and you interview with like five or six of them and hopefully get an internship. Well, I got denied by all five <laughs> that I interviewed with. And <laughs> so I didn't have an internship heading into that Um year of college. And luckily, Cox Communications, they were busy the day of the internship fair. So they had to pick from all of us who were left over who couldn't snag an internship. And luckily, I was the best of the worst candidates. <laughs> so I got a great internship there. Um, my producer, Rich Reed, he was amazing. He basically said, listen, I don't know if you have what it takes. But if you put everything into this, and you prove it to me, I will give you ever every opportunity I can give you. So I quit my job bartending and I worked a minimum wage job, um, well, internship with them. And it worked out really well. He ended up believing in me fully and gave me the opportunity with the Rattlers. And then from there, when I graduated college, I kept working with Cox, um, doing all kinds of things. I did the Rattlers on air stuff, which people were able to see. I stage managed. I ran a teleprompter. I got coffee all kinds of different things, ran score boxes. And I just freelanced for like two or three years right out of college. So I was doing high school football. I was covering concerts at the Celebrity Theater, the Waste Management Phoenix Open, um, anything and everything I could get my hands on. And that's sort of what led to freelancing for the Arizona Cardinals. So I was doing some of their digital content. And then I was also there in um, Stadium Host for a season. And that's when I got the call from the Coyotes that they were creating a position that was partly an arena host and partly digital um, host. So I worked for the Coyotes for a little while. And then I got reached out to by um, a friend, Bob Adlock at the Suns, that they were creating this position. I got to interview for it and got really lucky and was able to snag the job. And now here we are. I'm almost um, about to start my fourth season with them. And was sports always the goal for you? Now, I will say this, just from our perspective, Sam and I, we've had this podcast just a little bit over a year now, and you're officially the first woman guest other than 
Rashawn Holmes's mom. <laughs> so, and what what I've realized is, and it's not for lack of trying. We we've reached out to other women, and there are women in the industry covering sports, but it's not. You know, obviously, it's more of a male dominated field. And it, was that always a goal for you to to break in as a woman covering sports? Um. Well, so a little bit more backstory, I guess. I when I graduated high school, I graduated a little early and moved to LA. And I actually lived out there for three years because I thought I wanted to be an actor. Because I'll, I'll be honest, like, the only thing that I knew I wanted to do growing up was tell stories in some way, shape or form. And the only thing I really knew of was to tell stories through like acting. So I lived out in LA for three years. I did my first two years um, of college online before coming back to Phoenix to start the journalism program. And I realized I was really bad at being other people. <laughs> <laughs> so acting was not going to work out for me. So that's when I figured out, okay, journalism is still telling stories. It's just you get to be yourself and you're telling the stories of so many different people. Um, and I knew uh, from the get that I could not work in news because it's just a little too depressing for me. You know, mm -hmm. everything on news these days is find out at 10 what else will kill you. You know <laughs> what I mean? And I'm like, I don't want to live like that. <laughs> like, what kind of life is that where you're just afraid all the time or you always have to report on like the negative things that are happening in the world? Um, and at that time when I was in college, it was, you know, social media was kind of like becoming the new hot thing where everyone was starting to get their news and information and more players were getting on their own social media channels and starting to tell their own stories. And I was like, this is a great avenue. I like sports. I like telling stories. And these athletes have great stories to tell. Like, this is where I want to be. Um, so it wasn't necessarily something I grew up knowing I was going to be a sports reporter. It just kind of came with time. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that you hear a lot with sports reporters. It's like, oh, I grew up always knowing I wanted to do this. And you know, with, it's just like with anything in life. Sometimes you don't know what you're going to do until you're a junior in college. Maybe you don't even know until you're 30. And it's okay to take your time to kind of figure that out. But yeah, I don't know if I answered your question or not. <laughs> Sorry yeah. if I got off on a little rant there. <laughs> I was going to say, Mike, it took you until you were 30 to start this podcast. So <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> exactly. sometimes you never know. But, but Lindsay, about telling stories with sports, because I think really people are receptive to that. Uh, no matter the sport, no matter the team, but they're a little bit more receptive to it when the team is good. And especially someone Absolutely. in your position where you're trying to pitch story ideas and trying to find ways to engage fans and uh, audience members as a digital reporter. Uh, for the past few years, the Suns have been pretty bad. Can you describe that challenge of really trying to find those stories to engage fans and uh, what that experience has been like for you, and and maybe if you have any some of your favorite stories that you've been able to tell uh, of Suns players over the past few years. Yeah, well, like you said, it is a little bit more of a challenge when your team is not winning to you know build fan affinity and be able to tell those stories um, because you know rightfully so our fans are upset sometimes when we're not winning. It's like we put so much energy and effort and money into this team that we love so much and we feel like we're not getting enough back from it. So I think that's where content can kind of come into play though, is that if you tell these stories of these players, your fans will fall in love with who the player is as a person. And then even through the rough times, they will still support that player and that team because they understand the journey that these players have been on, the journey they're currently on, and just more relatable things about these players that 
you know, we can look at on social media and say, you know, I do that same thing, or I feel that same way about pineapple on pizza, <laughs> for example, like that's relatable for me. So I start to like this, this player as a person. And then I support them as a person, which then translates into supporting them as a player, even through those rough times. So I think that's one thing to always remember, like for me, is that even when you have a rough season or a losing season or something, there's always a good story to tell. And you just have to do a little bit more work in terms of finding it. Like, for example, you know, the first couple seasons, you know, we weren't doing very well. And but there were a lot of guys that we had on the team, like Derek Jones Jr., for example, right? He came up from the G League. He got to participate um, at All-Star in the dunk contest. Mm. Like this guy, when he first joined the Suns team or was in our G League affiliate, nobody really knew about him that much. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't a known player. We got to tell his story and help him become known and then got to experience this really cool thing with the dunk contest with him. And that was super cool because, you know, we weren't doing very well, but it created this opportunity for somebody else to showcase what they were able to do and show their talents. And now, you know, he's been on different teams throughout the league and it's great to see him thriving or making it more successfully than he was early on in his career. So things like that, you know what I mean? Like, it might be tough, but it also creates an opportunity for somebody else to prove they belong in the NBA or, you know, make a living off of doing something they really love and they put a lot of energy into. So it's just a matter of like, yeah, it's just a matter of finding those stories because there's always a great story to tell. It's just your perspective on it. Derek Jones Jr. is a guy who I think Suns fans are still rooting for, even though, you know, maybe it didn't work out here. But it, to your point, he's doing really well in Miami. and you know, maybe thank you for helping to tell that story because he's doing really well now. And I think Suns fans really are rooting for him. He's a great example. I can think of a lot of players who have mm -hmm. passed through this franchise over the past couple of years who, you know, maybe didn't have the greatest impact on this team when it came to the win-loss record, uh, but who are now on other teams around the league. And for the most part, Suns fans are rooting for those types of players. Uh, Troy Daniels, maybe going to LA this summer mm -hmm. is another recent example that I can think of. Didn't work out on this Rashawn franchise. Holmes. Rashawn Holmes. <laughs> yeah, Rashawn, Rashawn Holmes, Holmes is a great example. So just tons of guys out there like that. Yeah. And I think that's the thing to remember is that like, even if this person is no longer on your team, you can still support them and you can still be mm -hmm. a fan of them. And, you know, if you want to pick their team up as a secondary team, like, okay, that's fine. If you don't, that's cool too. But you can still support that person and that player. You know, I think there's something especially unique about what you do uh, compared to a lot of other NBA reporters or even team-specific reporters in that your job is very online. <laughs> your job mm -hmm. is a digital reporter. Uh, and that means that you're creating content in a lot of ways specifically for an online audience. And, you know, Suns fans are, are a unique bunch. How, how much do you... Uh, really follow what happens in the online Suns communities. Like I know you're, of course you're involved on Twitter. You do interact with people on Twitter. You do tweet a lot, lots of good content created for Twitter. Do you ever go onto the Suns Reddit? Do you find other smaller communities online and try and visit what uh, they're talking about? How much of it is really reacting to the way the community talks to each other online and how much of it is just trying to create something unique that people would like regardless of how they find it? 
Um, yes and no. So I follow a lot of you guys on Twitter and I love to follow different hashtags and see what the fans are talking about. But I also am very careful about how deep into it I get. <laughs> I have been As so lucky be. because yes, but I've been really lucky with the Suns and Suns fans specifically that everyone has been for the most part, really kind and supportive of what I'm doing and the work that I do, which means a lot because that's not always the case. And it hasn't always been the case throughout my career. So, um, you know, you've seen the shirts, you hear people say all the time, don't read the comments. It's kind of mm -hmm. hard not to read the comments because you do want to yeah. know what everyone's saying. But at the same time, you're yeah. like, I can't read the comments every day because Sometimes they are a little negative and sometimes you're like, gosh, I wish I had a burner Twitter. <laughs> so I could clap back at these people, but it's like, what is that going to do? Absolutely nothing. You know what I mean? But I do enjoy seeing um, what everyone's talking about and getting feedback. Like, for example, with the podcast, when we initially launched it, it was only available on our mobile app. Mm -hmm. which um, fans gave a lot of feedback that it wasn't user friendly. The app, you know, you had to keep it open in order to listen to the podcast. And if it closed while you were driving, the podcast would shut off. And they talked about, you know, wanting to be able to use their computer instead of their data on their phone <laughs> to listen to these podcasts. So that was really beneficial because I was able to pull those that feedback and share it with some of the higher ups in the company. Like I understand the initiative behind the Sense mobile app and growing that platform, but we also have to give this content to our fans in a way they want to consume it. Because ultimately at the end of the day, if nobody's consuming it, it's not doing anything for us. Um, so then we were able to switch it over. We got it on Apple podcast and YouTube and it runs natively on a lot of our social channels. So that was kind of cool. And that feedback really helped. Do you find, cause I think the biggest difference with creating stuff for online and creating stuff safe for like a TV or movies or whatever the other platforms are, is that it's more of a direct conversation with fans that like, like you said, there's comments, people directly interact with what you're creating. Do you find that that has caused you to have a bit of a thicker skin than you would have previously? Because, <laughs> like you said, uh, people can react in different ways and you never know how they're going to react. And it's even, you know, for Sam and I too, we have negative comments all the time. And no matter what you do, if you're uh, creating something for the internet, you're there's a part of you that is being vulnerable for other people. And I think in a lot of cases, you have to kind of come into that with a thicker skin right away, just anticipating that a certain percentage of people are going to react negatively to that. Yes, I do think that the comments have helped uh, my thin, my skin thicken up a little bit. But I honestly think I've had pretty thick skin from the get go. I kind of knew, um, you know, anytime you're in any sort of a front facing position, people are going to have opinions about you or the work you do, or the way you talk, or the way you look, or whatever it may be. And everyone's entitled to their own opinions. That's okay. Sometimes I think like, you know, if you want to have that opinion, maybe keep it in your head or tell it to your roommate <laughs> or your wife or your husband or whatever. Maybe don't tweet it out or put it on Instagram. But, you know, that's their prerogative. And that's okay. Um, so I do have pretty thick skin. And I don't I try not to let it get to me, obviously. I mean, sometimes it does. Words hurt, let's be honest. But I try really hard to 
focus more on the positive comments than the negative comments. But like I said, I have been so lucky because majority of the Suns fans out there have been really great to me. And I appreciate that. I want to get your thoughts on uh, the current Suns. Obviously, it was a really busy offseason. And specifically, you were talking earlier about uh, falling in love with players, not necessarily for what they do on the court, but falling in love with the player as a person. And there is no one on the current Suns who embodies that more to me than Kelly Oubre. Uh, so this is a question. I think I asked it honestly to Tom Leander a few weeks ago when he was on our podcast. But as someone who's been around the locker room, what was your impression of Kelly Oubre when he stepped into the Suns uh, midway through last season and the sort of effect that he had on the rest of the team? It was amazing. I mean, quite honestly, it was really cool to have a up close and personal view of that because he did such a great job of coming in and understanding his teammates and finding a way to relate to them. And then within that kind of built some camaraderie amongst all of them and brought them all together to, you know, be friends off the court, play for each other on the court. And I think I would like to think that everyone could see that, you know, even whether you were viewing the games at home or watching our content or you were at the arena or in the locker room. Um, to me, it just, it was just like night and day when he came in and Tyler Johnson too, you know, Tyler came in and he was very open and honest with the guys about, you know, their reputation around the league or how other teams saw the game when they were playing the Suns and or how they approached that game. Um, I think those two guys did a lot in terms of bringing this team together and just creating more chemistry and a culture that was more positive. And we want to play for each other. We want to work hard because I actually care about this guy that I'm sitting next to in this locker room. That's my brother. You know what I mean? And I think that's something that is so important to have in any sort of a team competitive sport. So I really enjoyed having him here. And I'm really glad that he's back with us for two more seasons, at least. Yeah, we're really glad too. especially as you know, if you're trying to create content about the Suns, Kelly Oubre is like a godsend. <laughs> he makes, for he sure. makes it easy to create <laughs> content. You don't even like, with Kelly. Whatever you put out there, everyone's going to engage with and love because he's <laughs> such a charismatic guy. You know what I mean? He just pulls you in and everyone just wants to consume more of what he's doing. You know, what you said about Tyler Johnson is really interesting. I don't think I had ever heard that, that he, when he first got to the team, he had conversations with the team about their reputation around the league and how other people view them. Do you know what those conversations were like or how it affected the team? Yeah, I mean, I think it had a really positive effect on the team. He he was just very transparent with them and said, you know, sometimes when other teams around the league look at the schedule and say, oh, the Suns are up next hey, we're okay in this game. Like, we're going to be fine. If we take the first three quarters off, it's all right, because as long as we play our game in the fourth quarter, we'll be able to come back and win this one. Wow. And he basically just said, you know, that's kind of the reputation that you guys have, and it's up to you to fix it, regardless if that was your fault or not, if that reputation came before you got here or not. It's now your responsibility to fix that reputation and make people rethink the way they approach games against the Phoenix Suns. And I think that was just one of those like tough love moments of like, I want to bring you guys together and I care about you and I want this team and organization to be successful. But at the end of the day, it's our responsibility. We are the only ones that can change this because we are the ones who are playing. We're the ones who are on the court. 
And um, like I said, I, I think that was a really candid conversation that those guys had. And it was really important because it opened their eyes. And then, you know, after Kelly and Tyler kind of really found their groove with this team, we saw a really good patch of basketball from the Suns team. Yeah, if, if only for a little while, it's definitely something for fans to be excited about. Uh, going forward. And then you add to those couple of veteran voices with other veterans, like obviously the big signing of the offseason was Ricky Rubio. Um, you bring in a couple of older rookies and Cam Johnson and uh, Ty Jerome, um, both of whom you've had on your podcast, The Outlet and uh, Dario Saric as well. Um, and Aaron Baines, I, I just and Frank Kaminsky. I don't mm-hmm. want to leave anyone out, so I'm just throwing out more names here. But <laughs> overall, what's your opinion on the rest of the Suns offseason uh, that unfolded? I am really excited to see how this group of guys kind of comes together and what happens um, when they take the court because um, they're younger veterans and James Jones likes to call them prime pros, meaning they're going to be playing meaningful minutes. They're going to be contributing on the court, but also what they do in that locker room is going to be huge for this team. Um, and then you mentioned the rookies, you know, a lot of them are a little bit older outside of Jalen LeCue, yeah. who is just a baby, right. <laughs> um, but they have experience and they're more mature. They, they understand what it takes. And I think they're just more open and receptive to that feedback. And then I also think one of the biggest differences um, with this roster than years past is that our rookies are not guaranteed to play meaningful minutes this season. They actually have to compete where in years past because of, you know, situations or circumstances that were kind of out of um, our control anyway. You know, we had rookies who were coming in and, and getting starting roles where this year they actually have to compete to get those starting roles. So it brings a level of competitive competitiveness between the guys and the teammates that I think will only make us better in the long run. And then, of course, you know, you've got Ricky Rubio, who I think is going to be super fun to watch, past first point guard. Devin Booker, I'm sure, is going to be so excited to play with him. And Aaron Baines, I think I'm excited to see what impact he has on DeAndre. And because, you know, Aaron Baines has a reputation of kind of just being a, a real tough guy, you know. So I think it'll be fun to see how he helps DeAndre develop here in his second season. Yeah, I, I, as soon as possible, get Aaron Baines on the Outlet podcast, please, because I would like to see that. He's so funny you know, and has a great reputation. Yet because obviously he's been playing uh, with the Australian national team, but um, as soon as he gets here, I promise we will make it happen. <laughs> great. Okay, so I don't want to take a too serious turn here, but... I have it on good authority that you eat popcorn with a spoon. What? Um, first of all, is that true? What? And would you like to explain yourself? Okay. Yes, <laughs> it's true. Secondly, where did you hear this information? Because I was going to put it out on the internet, but I haven't yet, I don't think. What's your I, story? Um, okay, I, I'm not going to say his name, but he may or may not uh, call Suns games. Okay. okay yes so here's the situation i love popcorn (laughs) but i hate that it gets my hands all buttery and greasy and especially (laughs) if you are eating popcorn at halftime of games like i'm wearing my nicer clothes you know what i mean like i don't want to accidentally stain 
you know, a blazer or a blouse or a skirt or whatever with these greasy hands. So I use a spoon. <laughs> and also, like, I like to eat popcorn, you know, sometimes with a little hot sauce, sometimes with some jalapenos. Um, so it gets a little messy, you know, and I don't want my hand to be all greasy for the next two hours. Cause even if you wash it, it doesn't always come off. Like I will die on the toe. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> I eat it with a spoon and it's so much more convenient and it's less messy. The hot sauce jalapenos <laughs> thing makes a little bit of sense, I guess. But like, has anyone ever looked at you eating popcorn with a spoon and given you a positive reaction? <laughs> Okay, so once this podcast comes out, I'm going to tweet out the video of Eddie Johnson and I. I think we were in Atlanta when I told him about it um, with Kevin. So Kevin was there too. So it was probably Kevin who told you. <laughs> Maybe one of the two of them. Um, but he was making so much fun of me, but it's like you get the same amount of popcorn on a spoon that you would in your hand. So it's not like, like you're not eating one kernel of popcorn on the spoon at a time. Like you get a spoonful like you would cereal. I don't know. I, I have to admit, the next time I eat popcorn, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably <laughs> try, try this. It too. I'll give it a shot. I feel like I have to. I feel like, I, and I actually get, I get what you mean about it. if you wash your hands, it doesn't always come out because it's greasy and grease doesn't yeah, always come out. exactly. And you know, like... If I'm working a game too and I'm holding a microphone, like the last thing I want to be worried about is like it slipping out of my hands because they're all greasy from the popcorn I ate during halftime. Okay, but from another source, <laughs> is it is it true that you refuse to eat mac and cheese with a spoon? What? Yes, I do. So this is a really hot topic on my podcast. Like it has become like the resident question. And I only eat mac and cheese with a fork. And I also, I will also die on this hill, okay? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just weird to eat it with a spoon. I can't, even if it's like a creamier mac and cheese, like I want to eat it with a spoon or with a fork because it just, it feels way more natural than eating it with a spoon. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like spoons are reserved for soup, ice cream, cereal, and popcorn. And that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just appreciate that you have opinions about that at all. I know, <laughs> it's so random. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do have to ask, so since you mentioned the sideline reporting, and we haven't really talked much about that, mm -hmm. where where are you? And if you have to go, you can tell us. You, you have no, to no, go. No, no, you're fine. <laughs> okay. Where, where do you stand? Where do you sit during the games? Like, where are you normally when you're not on camera? Um, I'm at the well, the table that's right behind the scores table. So where Eddie and Kevin sit, um, it goes Kevin, Eddie, our stage manager, and then I'm right next to her. So we're just like in the same little area, which is like right behind the first table, which would be the scores table and the sidelines. Um, just a little bit to the south, I think, of the, the sun's bench. And do you consider that a good place to watch the game from? Or I've asked everyone that we had that sit sideline about this because I, I find that I've sat courtside once and it's awesome to be that close, but it's actually kind of hard to see everything that's happening on the court. It is sometimes a little bit difficult. And Tim Kempton sits in front of me and he's pretty <laughs> tall. So sometimes I'm like, yo, Tim, can you duck down, please? Um, but I also have a monitor in front of me. I have two monitors, one that is like okay. the actual game broadcast so I can see I can watch that and then I can also see the replays that they show on the broadcast. So like all the different angles that people who are watching from home get to see, I also get to see. 
And then I also have a um, box on the other monitor so I can keep up with all the different stats that are going on. Um, at least the stats that you get on a box score. So Kevin mm -hmm. and Eddie have a statistician who sits next to them, who also is just a really great resource to have when you're a broadcaster because they're keeping up on different stats that maybe won't show up on a box score that they're able to feed to Kevin and Eddie to, you know, keep the conversation going and share some information that maybe the viewers at home are not aware of. But it's an overall, it's a great seat. I can't complain. I mean, I'm really close. When players get, this is kind of a weird topic to, to bring up, but when players get injured, a lot of times that's when the sideline reporter comes into play and you do have to kind of chase them down or or chase like the the staff down and figure out exactly what's wrong. What is it like in that scenario? Does it, I mean, obviously, you know, these guys, you're, mm -hmm. you know, I would, I would assume that some of them you would consider friends. You see them all the time. They're at least at the very least coworkers, people that you interact with on, on a daily basis. What is it like when you have to kind of chase down and see, see what the injuries are like? So there are a lot of like, I don't know if they're unwritten rules or actual rules, um, but just kind of protocols that you kind of follow in certain situations. So we have a uh, basketball communication staff that works every single game. There's three of them and they are all equally wonderful. So if Devin Booker leaves the court and goes back to the locker room because, you know, he landed wrong on an ankle or something happened, uh, the director of basketball communication, she's the one who goes back there. Her name's Julie Fye. She's awesome. Um, and she can go into the locker room. She can go into the training room and she gets the message directly from basketball ops on what it is, the injury is, and how we want to share the information. Mm -hmm. So I'll be honest with you, you know, a lot of times teams aren't going to be completely open and just say straight up like so-and-so sprained an ankle or tore an Achilles or whatever it may be because, you know, sometimes you have to have further tests and sometimes you don't really know all the answers because, let's be honest, if you hurt yourself, sometimes you have to get x-rays or whatever it may be. Um, so she goes in there, she gets that information and then I follow her back and I just wait in the hallway outside of the locker room. And then she shares the information with me and then I am able to share it on the broadcast. Um, sometimes if it's like, um, not something that's really bad, but, uh, the player just feels like it would be better for them to stay out the rest of the game. Like they'll shoot out we have a private Twitter account where only certain people are allowed to follow it that you turn on no notifications for like Ro Woj bombs. Mm. And so it'll notify you. And that's usually just for, you know, whether it's um, internal employees or members of the media, the credentialed media and things like that. So there's just a lot of weird behind the scenes things that you wouldn't think about, but it is definitely not allowed to ask the player what happened mm -hmm. during the game. Unfortunately, I think every listener of this podcast is now going to search for that Twitter account. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> if I was allowed to say that. <laughs> well, they're not going to find um, it. <laughs> it's definitely a private account, so you have to request gotcha. to follow. So even if you do find it, chances are you probably won't get approved. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay, because if you follow the Suns account, we always... Um, you know, share that information for the most part. And then obviously the beat writers around town who cover it, they have access to that information too. Um, when they're at games, we usually let everyone know. So everyone's in the loop on it. 
because, you know, it's news that needs to be reported. So right. sometimes I just get it like 15 seconds earlier. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have one more question for you from my end, and it's okay. going to test your memory. Are you ready? Oh, no. So you oh. evidently you went on a podcast. This is not your first podcast appearance ever. I did a little bit of digging and you went on a podcast around this time last year where you were asked who your top five Suns players are. Uh, and you couldn't whittle it down all the way to five names. So you actually threw out six. <laughs> do you remember who those six are uh, or do you want me to say them? OK, I know for sure that I put EJ and TC on that list. A hundred percent. Because they are they're like my my friends like i wish that i could go live before a game on social media and just show you how goofy and fun the broadcast crew is like off camera <laughs> um we'd probably all get in trouble for it to be honest but <laughs> it's just so much fun because we all genuinely really enjoy each other's company you know sometimes we're talking basketball sometimes we're talking football sometimes we're talking you know kids and families and all kinds of fun stuff but it's definitely a um group of people who like to throw jabs at each other and just talk a little bit of trash to each other because at one point in time i'm sure all of us were competitors or we enjoy sports because it's competitive so but they're super fun so i know i put those two on there um shoot i don't remember who else i put on there so steve nash amari stoudemire devin booker Round out the top five, and that makes a lot of sense. Number six, your sort of honorable mention. Did I put Marquise? You Chris? did put Marquise Chris. And so my follow-up question to you yeah. is going to be one year <laughs> later, Lindsay, in 2019, is Marquise Chris still making the cut, or would you like to nominate a new Suns player to sort of take his spot? Not because Marquise Chris is a bad guy, uh, but just I don't know if maybe there's someone else who bumps him down a little bit in the rankings. I mean, Kelly Oubre is fantastic. He <laughs> yeah. is a stand-up guy, um, both professionally and personally. He's super kind to everybody who works at the arena. Um, really easygoing. I don't know if you guys watched our live stream of his press conference when he re-signed mm -hmm. with us this summer, but he came in and a lot of the reporters who were asking him questions, he called them, you know, he said hi to them by their name. He referred to everybody in the room as his family. Like, he's just a really good guy um, and to everyone he encounters. Uh, so Kelly Uber would be on there, but I will tell you, like, Marquise Chris was wonderful as a person as well. He didn't work out with the Suns organization, which was unfortunate, but as a person, like, majority of my interactions with him, he was super nice, really kind, and pretty open to doing all of the different funny videos or weird things we asked him to do. So I still think he's a good kid, was raised well, had a good family. Um, so I'm not, like, throwing him under the bus or anything. Yeah, we were big supporters too. He was the first NBA player to ever retweet anything we posted. So we were immediately fans of his when we first started this podcast. So I have I have one more question for you and then we'll let you go. Okay. Um, so far we have had now you, Tom Leander and Kay Ray on the podcast. How likely is it, and you can be honest with us, that we can get EJ, Tom Chambers, or Ann Myers Drysdale? Um... You can definitely get Annie because she is so sweet and just a wonderful human being. I don't know if you watch my podcast with her, but honestly, it's the weirdest thing. I don't really get nervous around people um, like celebrities or athletes or whatever. 
I'm more nervous about, you know, the interview going well and not mm-hmm. making a fool of myself on like live TV or something. <laughs> um, but I get so nervous with Annie because <laughs> she's just so awesome. Like she is a total badass, like straight up <laughs> because she's done so many great things in her career and her life. And she's so humble and just a great person. So you could definitely get Annie. Um, TC and EJ, that's a tough one because it took a lot of coaxing to get TC on my podcast. I'm not going to lie. And I still don't, I don't think I had EJ on my podcast yet. I don't think you have either. No, no. Like he's, he is in my books. Like I have him on my list of people that I need to get this season, like ASAP. Um, but I will say if you get either, if you try to get TC, it has to be during the season because in the off season, he goes back home and hangs out on his ranch and just like completely checks out, which I don't blame him. I would do the same thing. It's so hot here. I can see it. He, he was just convinced to join Twitter recently. Right. And I still don't think he really yeah, uses that was it. My doing. <laughs> He doesn't. Um, I, uh, we both have access to his Twitter and a lot of times I'll just text him and be like, Hey, somebody said this. How do you want to respond? And I'll tweet it out for him. Um, so, you know, I, I'm like the ghost writer of TC's Twitter. (laughs) But hopefully since we started it in the off season, I can understand why he wasn't really as engaged on it, but hopefully during the season, I can convince him to get a little more engaged on it. Just, you know, to have conversations with his fans. Like people love him. He's so funny. So I'm going to try really hard to get him more engaged on it. EJ, I think he will do it. I think the hardest part is going to be working around his schedule because he is so busy Mm -hmm. because he has his, you know, um, serious serious XM show that he does. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He does our games. He works events for us all the time. He's, you know, he's a family guy. So but I think you could convince them to do it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been, I think, a really great conversation. I think Suns fans are going to love it. Feel free to come on whenever you want if you want to talk okay. on another podcast. Everyone, of course, listen to the outlet or watch. The, I like watching it on YouTube personally because you can see you guys. And yeah. uh, just make sure to check out everything that Lindsay does. Of course, you all follow her on Twitter. But if you don't, just search Lindsay Smith. We'll tag her when we post the episode, of course. And you can follow her on Twitter. But I want to say thank you for joining us. But also thank you for everything that you do to create content for uh, the Suns. It's like it's vital for Sam and I. It's vital for anyone who follows the Suns, but especially people like Sam and I who cover the Suns and try to think about things to talk about every single week. So people like you are vital to that. So thank you very much. Well, thank you guys. I really appreciate you having me on and um, hopefully we'll have a really fun season to talk about this year. I hope so. Ricky Rubio has been named MVP. Wow. Exclamation mark on an utterly sensational tournament for him. Ricky Rubio has been Spain's leading scorer throughout the tournament. Deservingly earns the MVP, finishes over 16 points per game, over 6 assists per game. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th 
only on Showtime. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.